That's God. false. That's unwise. We could all use a little more wisdom, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Do you guys remember that adage? It's like what? one of those, you know, that everyone's got two wolves. Oh, yeah. Like there's that actually awesome cliche. That, that, I'm not, not fucking lying. Bathroom in level five, women's bathroom. Someone's printed out that adage and stuck it to the mirror. Wow. Yeah, see, for, but for me, I feel like... Do you not know the adage? you got two wolves inside of you. All right, so you got two wolves inside of you that, and they're battling for dominance. Good and, and evil. Good and evil. And the one that survives is the one I feed. You know what I mean? It's like one of the... It's a cliche and it's kind oh, of a positivity right, gotcha. thing. So the one I feed, because of the verb feed, it just came off as evil to me just then. I feed. I feed the good one, but I myself am evil. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you can also <laughs> feed the evil one. But I, I, th- I feel like I've kind of... Like I definitely don't have any wolves in me. Uh, I think for me it's more a combination of like two 14-year-old boys. <laughs> My God, the and worst. The one, the one that wins is the one that I give the Xbox controller to. Beautiful. But the I thing love is, it. Modernize those proverbs. Again, I've gamed it again because I don't have to pick a winner because of couch co-op. So you just buy a second controller. <laughs> yeah, you're right, absolutely. And everybody wins. Everyone everybody wins. has a go. And so, you know, because my brain is filled with two teenage boys whose collective age doesn't add up to mine... <laughs> <laughs> I feel juvenile enough to introduce today's topic as cock. I did it. (laughs) You did it. Everyone saw it coming a mile off and I did it. Today's episode is about cocktails. Hello, everybody. My name is Jim. I'm here with the Sams. Welcome to the Music and Everything podcast. Today, we're going to have a fun one because we are all... Ooh, cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. One, clink. Clink. And have a little uh, rattle of ice here. We are starting today's episode with a cocktail. It only seems appropriate. So I've made everybody here at the table some old fashions. And if you've listened to the episodes before, you'll know why. It's one of my lovely comfort foods that I lean into probably too regularly. So cheers, everybody. Cheers. Mm. Mm. Ah, bottoms up. Yummy. Mm. So I want to talk about cocktails in some detail with you two today. Sounds great. Uh, Because I feel like it's one of those subjects that people know kind of surface level about or they know what their favourite cocktail is or maybe they've, you know, been been on a bender (laughs) one too many times and uh, had a Long Island iced tea, which is always a mistake. Um, Not as big a mistake as the second Long Island iced tea, obviously. Uh, But I feel like it's something that has a lot of history and a lot of stuff and research that's gone into it. So who's in charge? I would be in charge. In charge, chief investigator. Yeah. In the hat. Sam Gray, just to be clear, it's the Sam it's, Gray. It's Sam who's the, He's not in Sam. charge. You should um, all know that Samantha is wearing the cap backwards. Oh, it's so sick. And I have a skateboard. No, Do I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you had a skateboard. Then you'd be you officially cool. So cool. You have um, sleeve tattoos. <laughs> and I'm getting more. Yeah, do it. Yeah, I do am. it while drunk. Have a, they, I they, literally have a tattoo consultation. That's the fine. thing. If, if you um, have many bevies, tattoo artists love that. They don't they hate do, it at actually, all. It's a legal requirement to be pissed. Yeah, you have to be, yeah. Um, on old fashions, actually. Exactly. Especially the places like... That's why you have to sign the paper that says that. Don't listen to us. Listen to Sam. (laughs) So um, an old fashioned is actually a really great way of starting this episode because old fashions have been 
renowned as being like the original cocktail. Um, the and OG. I, the OG. Well, OF, but don't, OG. Don't. Um, no jokes. Okay. <laughs> the only Rude. serious content. Only serious content. <laughs> um, but I think what's really interesting about the history of cocktails kind of more broadly is that every single time you watch YouTube videos, listen to TED Talks, listen to podcasts, everyone is like, okay, well, if we're going to talk about the history of cocktails, we have to start with the old fashioned. And I think that's really fascinating because one of the things that you said you like about this beverage is how simple it is. It is simple. There's like four ingredients. What are the ingredients in old fashioned? Just uh, whiskey, usually American whiskey, uh, sugar, bitters, and water. So, Samuel, what is the definition of a cocktail from what you've got gathered? Well, like people give like a general definition of a cocktail, and it pretty much sounds like that minus the the specification of the bourbon. Mm. So, a cocktail can contain a spirit, ice. Uh, and a sweet thing and a bitter thing. That's mm. kind of like your, that's like your definition of all cocktails. And it can be any combination of those two things, except of course, like pretty much all of them are going to be a spirit and ice. The, the <laughs> you know, the origins being someone, I'm so bored with this. <laughs> what do I have lying around? Uh, this, yeah. there you go. Yeah, and I think that the, the interesting thing about the old fashioned is um, it basically is the definition of cocktail. For, and it's one of the oldest cocktails because cocktails, I think cocktails have this, uh, sort of like connection with both an old timey and a modern thing. Mm. So people think that like the the sort of you know prohibition themed bars, cocktail bars that you see all across or the your place, or your speakeasies yeah. and stuff. People think that cocktails are a really modern thing, mm-hmm. um, especially because like there's the whole thing with the the old fashioned was asked for in like what the 1910s or something like that. But really, the first old fashioned was like what 18. 18- mm. Six. Well, the, the it was reason. a throwback to a throwback. It was a throwback yeah. to a throwback to a throwback. Like it's it's one of the most it's like mixing beverages and mixing ingredients together to make a beverage is an old, mm. old custom. So it's a really interesting thing to have this sort of like both modern and, and yeah, old it's almost like feel. like the living heritage of booze. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Exactly. Same time, I started to wonder. One of the questions I had going into this is that, you know, when you hear about like how cocktails developed or how they are now, like it feels like such an American story. Mm. I was sort of wondering, like, as an Australian, sort of going, like, is this one of those times when there's a very popular American story, but it kind of happened in different ways all over the world. But it's not really true. Like, it really is quite an American story. Mm. And that's because when we talk about a cocktail, there's that combination of the spirit, ice, sweet, and bitter. Like, that's, that happened in the, in the US. I mean, for thousands of years, probably longer, uh, humans have been mixing up crazy things together. Mm. Hey, try <laughs> <So> this. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> so, you know, to kind of differentiate it from that, you sort of have to go, well, okay, a cocktail is this particular thing, this combination mm. of things done in this style. And the earliest that we know that that happened is probably like this, you know, late 18th century. So like 1780s, 1790s. In America. In America. And so we'll never like guess the... what the definition of the cocktail was. It was almost exactly the definition you had for an old-fashioned. Nice. They didn't say ice. They said water and they said it would be cold. That's I did. I actually said water, I think. Oh, you did? Yeah. There you, you go. Yeah. Cheers, guys. I said ice. Roll back the tape. <laughs> somebody, somebody proved me right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's like the baseball jazz of drank. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's true, true American art form. Yeah, and I think what's really fascinating is when you read about the history of the old fashioned, it always comes back to, and and cocktails by extension. Because there's also, there was a contender between um, an old fashioned and a beverage called a Sazerac, which I don't actually know what's in a Sazerac, but it's a very, Mm -hmm. very similar construction to an old fashioned. I think it's got um, a liqueur in it rather than sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, But it always constantly seems to come back to kind of prohibition, making Mm -hmm. shit 
alcohol yeah, right. taste mm. nice. Add, add some shine add to your some, moonshine. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's really interesting because when you look at points of when cocktails, the ebb and flow of cocktails mm-hmm. as, a, as a beverage as well, it seems to coincide with, so you've got like the, um, obviously cocktails have been around for a very long time, but then you have like the prohibition, speakeasy, burgeoning of cocktail making. Mm-hmm. And that sort of has a connection with trying to make moonshine taste good. But it was also, um, prohibition was the point where cocktails moved out of America. So a lot of bartenders during Prohibition couldn't work because a lot of the places they worked got closed down. So they moved over to Europe and started making- that make- sort of thing is recommended. Yeah, yeah, and then they started making the cocktails they made at diet. home. Yeah, exactly. It's just like you have a cocktail before dinner. Before work. Before uh, work, during lunch. And, <laughs> working um, with heavy machinery. And yeah, then, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you understand it. You fit in right, right in there. Genau. Um, But then they were spreading the kind of cocktail over to Europe, but- so you have the prohibition era where they like people are making cocktails to make their shit alcohol taste good, and then you have like post World War II another boom of cocktail making because mm. it's connected to distillers who shut down their factories to make like industrial grade like fucking- and coincidentally tied in with the baby boom as well. Oh, so there's some libations well, uh, happening. Here. Well, yes, drink responsibly, everybody. Yes, our grandparents were fucking yes. Yeah, gross. Um, <laughs> but like, so they were making like industrial grade like alcohol for war hygiene purposes. And then they, the war ended, they turned their stills back on to make like human drinkable beverages, but they had to use some of this leftover stuff. So they started mixing like industrial grade, like ethanol with some of their still stuff to get product out. Mm. And so the alcohol that was coming out of the like post-war period was pretty shit. And Mm. so then cocktails kind of got a resurgence because people wanted to sort of make it taste nice. You know, it's a great example of that is actually the, um, is the is the martini because mm. it's, ba- it's it's key ingredients are so simple you know it's the vermouth and the gin or later the vodka um, and like you know a citrus and ice um, and one of the things you do when you make it is you're stirring it really sort of delicately to not chip the ice to cool it and dilute it a bit then you taste it on on your hand and you sort of what you're looking for is like the taste of the alcohol sort of not being so sharp not really being there. And wow, it's like that got me thinking about like you know how much cocktails like that are about masking the taste of of nasty booze or cheap booze with flavour. I was going to make that comment about the old fashioned as well because like the thing is I'm I'm not a bourbon drinker, like I'm I'm just not that guy, man. Like I, I worked <laughs> in hospitality at the age of eighteen and I cleaned up enough like Jim Beam and Coke flavored puke to last a <laughs> lifetime and to leave a scar. So I don't play those games. Uh, but the thing about the old-fashioned is that the balance of the ingredients, it's like you take four simple ingredients and apply them together in a way that makes it taste like none of those things. And I, I fucking love the chemistry of that. Yeah. <laughs> I also love that because it's, it's, I think of cocktail making as very similar to cooking because it is about that. It's like we talk about um, like the aglio e olio and the mm-hmm. fact that you've got all of these constituent ingredients, the, the olive oil, the garlic, the lemon, the parsley, the, the pasta. It's all it basics. All, it's all simple stuff. But mm. when you actually eat it, you don't taste each individual thing. It's mm. combined to be this delicious food. And like if you approach cocktails in that way of like it's combining in such a way to create a product that is is distinct, like there's almost like a chemical change. Yeah, I'm not drinking bourbon here. I'm drinking no, old fashioned. Exactly, it's a totally different entity. The slow mixing or the shaking and like there are rules around mixing and shaking whether to stir. There are laws about this. There are laws. I, I have them. <laughs> I have them in front of me. There are rules, guys, and we have to follow them yeah. except when we don't. We're going to lay down the law today. Yeah, we are. We're yeah. going to learn. only stirring martinis. Except yeah. actually shaking is fine as it turns out. Everything's fine, nothing matters. It's yeah. You know the, the thing where James Bond is like shaken, not stirred. 
and it's this, like this iconic line. And I always think about that bit in the West Wing where Bartlett's sort of raving and it's very, very funny. And he's sort of saying- One of know, Aaron Sorkin's cocaine lines. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, you know, and saying that, you know, you're, you're meant to stir it with a special spoon so that the ice doesn't chip and dilute it too much. So when he's shaking it, he's really just watering it down. You know, James Bond is ordering a watered down martini and being snooty about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really funny line, but it's kind of looking into it, it was like apparently like a shaken martini is actually kind of fine. And the key difference literally is nothing matters. Well, it dilutes it a little bit more, right. but it, the main difference is that it's visually cloudy. Ah, uh, right. So, and unacceptable. With cl- yeah, unacceptable, right? <laughs> so everything must be clean. <laughs> but it's also colder. So, it's, if you after just a cheeky martini or something, it's, well, maybe it's James, James Bond runs hot. Uh, he runs hot. He needs a yeah. nice cooling down. But I think I so when I started looking into to cocktails, one of the first things I sort of I went to was YouTube because it's a it's a amazing like resource for this sort of thing because seeing somebody make cocktails is one of the best ways to learn how yeah, to Yeah, totally. Cocktails. You get to have the effect. Like, as I did the same thing, yeah. not for this episode at all, but just because I wanted to learn some, you know, because we're, we're locked in our houses most of the time now. So it's time for <laughs> a new homely interest involving alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than just drinking neat spirits, let's <laughs> make them taste good. Yeah. <laughs> get off the couch, you. But it's like, I, I like it because it's a ritual as well. Like, it has a, a process that you have to follow. And in fact, there are so many cocktails out there, obviously. We know that, like, we could probably name a couple of cocktails off the top of our head, like a categories game if we wanted to. Mm. Um, An old fashioned is a classic, you know, martinis, cosmos, all of those things. But what's really interesting is it's actually families of cocktails. There's a whole bunch of broad sort of like categories of, of, of how you make it in a base way that can transform into tens and so the variations come from within uh, family groups. Within family groups. Okay. And so you've so it's got- like the law, L-O-R-E. Oh, yeah, kind of, exactly. Yeah, but also I think it, it provides Thanks, <laughs> a really neat principle of how to start making a cocktail. So like a margarita is probably one of the classic cocktails, as mm-hmm. we would say. That is actually a part of the Daisy family. And Who it, named these? I must know. I have no idea. <laughs> because and, that doesn't seem appropriate to me. Well, I mean, it doesn't, be, be, but I think it d- does a little bit because what it it's is- It's only going to get worse from here. Is, um, <laughs> honestly, yes. Daisy's um, the top of the list. Okay. Daisy's, cons- uh, they're a spirit, liqueur, usually orange, and lemon or lime juice. No, I can see that. Yeah, now and that so- I've, Now that I'm not making a split second in, judgment. <laughs> in order to make a daisy, you have to shake it with ice in a mm-hmm. shaker, and then you serve it straight up on the rocks. Or frozen, and there's all these fun terms when you're like learning how to make cocktails. Straight up, no ice mm-hmm. on the rocks, like we have an old fashioned with a with a bit of ice in there. Over crushed ice is usually what happens when you get a colada. Is usually with crushed ice, mm-hmm. and that's another family. We know the pina colada; it's yeah. part of that family. Oh, but right. you can take that. So you have got spirit, liqueur, lemon, or lime juice. So wait, mar- colada is a suffix like pina colada? Yes. I had no idea about that. Congratulations. We're Today's lesson brought to you by Samuel Gray. But um, I like that because you go, okay, so a margarita, tequila, Cointreau, lime juice. Mm. But you could go gin, grenadine, lemon juice. What's interesting, mm, sure. learning that and understanding that now, it makes me feel a little bit less, like honestly, less intimidated about trying to make new cocktails. Because yeah. again, like 
knowing that there is essentially no wrong way to do it as long as you're within this particular family group. So it's just like, if you want to make a variation on something like that, you're just substituting one or, or more yeah. ingredients. And, and you can get it horrifically portion. wrong, yeah. but it's like, at least you're you're able to try it without going like, oh, there's there's only a, like a, a discipline, a law, or a one way I can do this. Yeah, and I think that the best way of thinking about that is so like the daiquiri family group, mm-hmm. um, and as I'm, I'm not sure if, have either of you had daiquiris before? Yes. Oh my God, slushy or... Uh, crushed ice. Oh no, I don't remember. <laughs> that is usually how it goes with a daiquiri. So you've experienced a daiquiri. Yes, so I have. the I want the, the slushy one. The other, I think it was slushy. The other <laughs> law when it comes to and like this is coming from people who work behind bars is like it doesn't matter what you put into it. It matters the proportions, the ratio. Right. So for a daiquiri, it's two parts liquor, one part sweet, one part sour. Okay. Right. So it's two to one to one. Doesn't matter what each of those things Whatever are. Whatever they are. Yeah. You shake it in a in within a, reason. <laughs> Chartreuse uh, around some, some mixologists would disagree with you. Um, they would say, do whatever you want. Wow. Yeah, Radical like mixology. The Jacob Colliers. Yeah, of, I was about to say that. Of the cocktail um, Avant-garde jazz of cocktails. Mm. But I think the key thing, uh, so that's like, that's a really good way of learning how to make cocktails. So two, one, one, mm-hmm. and you can just substitute whatever you want. And then there was another one that seemed, another sort of rule or law that seemed to come through from the research, which was if it's a, uh, which was like whether to shake or stir. So shaken or stirred. Mm-hmm. So if you're like an old fashioned, it's built on, um, it's just liquor and uh, bitters, which is also a liquor, mm-hmm. uh, sugar and ice. So because it's built purely with liquor, you stir it. Yeah, because it's a boozy cocktail. Because it's a boozy cocktail. Mm. If you've added an acid, like a lemon juice, lime juice, grapefruit, whatever, you Pineapple shake juice. it. Yeah. Because the acid component means that it blends in better. Interesting. So whereas if you're building mm. just liquor, you don't like you don't want to chip the ice, you don't want to water it down too quickly. So this is where like the chemistry element comes in. Yes. So like someone's been doing some thinking. Yes. You know what I mean? But I think that these two principles of like shake or stir, just know which one is which, mm-hmm. those two to one to one. Based ones, on the addition of an acid. Based on the addition of an acid, essentially, or a soda. Okay. So if you're if you're gonna do a so if it's a like a highball, which is or um a cooler, anything that has like a carbonate base that you add in afterwards, mm. you mix all the alcohol. Bits right, I was just gonna, the, the soda's not coming into the into the shaker at any point. No, but <laughs> for some, you know what's really interesting is like for some of them they will add a little soda in to shake mm. it up to extra carbonate it. Right. Actually, oh, I I actually ones. use a dash of soda water yes. in making these. Not not much, just enough to help to break down the sugar cube at the beginning Ooh. of the process. That's that's it. So it's not exactly like this is a carbonated drink. It's just that <laughs> it has enough to kind of break down the sugar a bit more. But yeah, I think it. Once you know these two principles, you know, shake or stir, two to one to one or whatever the base cocktail you enjoy. Because I also think like if you're not a daiquiri fan, you don't like those proportions, mm. find a proportion that you like, work with it. Oh God, I see the thing is I'm loving this already and I'm, I'm genuinely grateful because I'm like, oh, I can do more things. Yeah. <laughs> already. Already, yeah. Only and a few I, minutes in. I think it's, it's really, really exciting. One of my favourite things that I learned about actually was um, – <laughs> The craziest ones, which is like the fizz, the flip, and the sour, all of which sound like really fun things, right? A fizz is basically spirit, citrus, sugar, mixer. Right. So um, also anything that's just liquor and mixer is a highball. Okay. That's what it's called. That's the family. So it's just like gin and tonic, jammy and ginger ale. They're all highballs. Mm -hmm. So cocktails maybe, but they have a family. So they're in a distinct category. When we're talking about cocktails, we're not talking about highballs. There's a different thing. Totally different thing. Totally different thing. Rum and Coke. Yeah. Yeah. So a fizz, so it's called a fizz because you have 
carbonated soda in it. But there's also, um, and you like shake it and you serve it in a tall, chill glass, in a, in a highball glass, which mm-hmm. is, you know, we'll talk about the glasses in a second. Yeah, I actually would like to talk about yeah, the glasses. Yeah, we'll talk about the glasses in a second. But they also have all these things. So if you add egg white to it, it's a silver fizz. If you add egg yolk to it, it's a golden fizz. If you add cream, it's a cream fizz. I wouldn't be calling anything a golden fizz. Neither would I, <laughs> but that's what they're called. That's what you get if you go behind the bar. Goodness me. And you know what's really fun? So there's, there's actually... <laughs> There's a, I'm not even interested. Yeah, don't, please don't. Um, please let it go. Th- so, and then a sour, so like, you know, a whiskey sour is, is a very common one. It's spirit, citrus juice, sugar, sweeteners, bitters, and egg white. And you actually are trying oh. to, you do what is known as a, as a dry um, shake first mm-hmm. without ice in it to get it kind of froth, the egg white to get frothed into right, it. Right, makes sense. And then you add ice and then you shake it to make almost like a meringue top. I and there's other terms as well. There's like a there's like a ice flip where you put a single thing of ice in there and you shake it up and then you add more ice and it kind of froths things or like blends things in really interesting ways. I'm amazed at the amount of thought that's gone in. I mean, it, I feel like adding an egg white to basically anything that's being served raw, it seems like an adventure, you know, an adventurous spirit came up with that. Like the same as the mm. first person who drank cow's milk. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like somebody had to go like, I'll give that a crack. <laughs> also, just just a PSA: a hot toddy is a misnomer. A toddy is hot. A toddy is hot. A toddy is hot. A toddy is spirit, sugar, and hot water. So it's not a hot toddy; it's just a toddy. Well, I mean, what if you? I mean, you want to enhance the superlative, don't you? I want the toddiest toddy of all. You want, I, want, I want such a toddy tod that there cozy. is no alcohol in it. And in the thing is, what if you just called it Todd? You know, that would be that's kind of nice. Maybe if you're not as familiar with Todd, you can't call him by his nickname. He's a toddy to his mate. <laughs> Hot yeah, toddy um, to, to his mistress. Hot toddy to his mistress. <laughs> My goodness. Oh, you mean hot toddy? Yeah, but the other fun thing is like, so the ultimate, what I would say the ultimate cocktail is for a party. Okay. Is a punch. A punch? A punch. I think that's pretty well understood to be true. It's a... Oh, yeah, but I never thought of it as a cocktail. It's a cocktail. I just see it as a bowl of Yum. nice smelling regret. And there's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's made, not, we're not talking about the punch at your high school fucking uh, f- like house party. We're talking about an elegant punch. An it's elegant called a punch. gather, Sam. Oh my God, I'm sorry. A gather. And I call, call my, it what it is. I call Christ. myself an Australian, honestly. I just can't wait till we cover Australian slang because it's just going <laughs> to be, be a fucked it's day. It's going to be messy. There's a rhyme to make punch. There's a rhyme to make punch? Which comes from the late 19th century. Is it deeply offensive? It isn't deeply offensive, Thank which God. is good. good. It's one of it's sour, really... two of sweet. Three of strong, four of weak. I don't like weak with sweet. I just don't. There's something about yeah, the K a, versus the T that's... um. It doesn't work. But tell, tell them they're wrong. So it's one part lime, two part sweetener, three part rum, four part water. Can you say it in a witch's voice, please? Never. Four part water? Where does, that, where does water but, come no, from? So this, this is the old school version. So nowadays it would be four parts of like fruit juice. Yeah, but that's not in the rhyme scheme at all. It's like 30 days... <laughs> That's the interpretation of the rhyming scheme. Right. So this was, I take it, written in a different language and then translated. <laughs> I into think so, English. yeah. But the interesting oh, thing- Oh, it rhymes. Look at it. It says, oh. Oh, oh no. Dear, oh, dear. Um, but I think what's really interesting is like, I did a little bit more research into punch because I was like, punch, where does it, why is it called a punch? Because it's not like, maybe it was like, because it punches you in the face when you drink it. Maybe. It's got no, a kick. It's actually a loan word from Hindi 
so because a punch comes from the Indian, Indian subcontinent, it's a loan word which means five because it usually is comprised of five ingredients: alcohol, sugar, juice, water, and spice. That's so sick because it's, it sounds like a really cool piece of slang. Yeah, like you know, someone with a, a cap backwards asking for a five. Yeah, it's like, like punch. <laughs> throw me a five. So it's, it's a P double A N S T C H. I have to say though that it, it makes so much sense that it comes from that region. Mm. Thinking about it, like like what is it? It is a light and refreshing fruity thing that you drink yeah. when it's fucking hot. When it's <laughs> super, you know, it's like absolutely hot. not surprising that it comes from there. That's so cool. But like I've got like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 different families and that's not all of them. Are you kidding? There's so many. And so the beautiful thing is if you want, if you decide you really like a cobbler, which is spirit of wine-based fruit and sugar, you change what fruit it is, you change what spirit it is, mm. you have a fun time and you can really tailor all of these things to your personal palate. So I know people who don't like gin, just switch that liquor out with something else that you like. Like they did with vodka and the martini. Yeah. This is patently disgusting. Uh, No, it was the other way around actually. Really? Yeah, so gin martinis were dominant first. Mm. And there's a reason for that that's specific to the depression, not the depression, the prohibition. Yeah, Um, the prohibition that led to some serious (laughs) depression, which led to drinking. (laughs) It's a vicious cycle, Sam. They were almost at the same time. Almost. Roughly. Um, Yeah, yeah, so they actually only started being dominantly vodka martinis from, you know, kind of late mid-century onwards. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. They, yeah. they swapped it out. They were like, this is fucked. I'm Cause going. Because gin is not a palatable beverage for a lot of people. Yeah, well, it was relatively pa- palatable in the prohibition, but that's why it became so popular then. Because mm. when you're making cheap moonshine, to try and make bourbon, the only way you can get the flavor is, quote unquote, to uh, add dead rats and rotten meat and let it ferment. Um, and apparently that tasted a lot about bourbon. Is that a, is that figurative or is that okay, like literal? literal? That says more to me about bourbon than it does the prohibition. <laughs> um, so I think that's people, a literal thing. They used to do that to get the flavor, the deep flavor of bourbon. How do I express my facial expression for the podcast? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's fucked. I, I, yeah, I don't know look, what I, I don't know what to think about. Lots of people died from drinking bad liquor. Yeah, so because wow. it was it was still illegally, and people would still drink industrial. Um, Liquor as well, mm. even though they added the bad taste to it to try and stop people from doing that, like they like you do now with metho, yeah, or with methylated spirits. Sorry for those metho. Yeah, let's just stop abbreviating things and <laughs> adding O to the end. So gin was really easy to make in such a way that wasn't atrocious because it was a clear spirit, and that you then add sort of aromatic, you know, botanicals to. So you could actually make it half decent, and then you cover up in a cocktail like a mm. martini with vermouth. So right, yeah. So Samuel, I have a question for you. What is the etymology of cocktail? Are we having an etymology break? We certainly are. <laughs> and might I preface this by saying that we definitely don't know what the etymology of cocktail is. Um, so yeah, let's start with that because that's my <laughs> that was my first question. It's such a shame. But I mean, okay, I have to assume, and this here's a little piece of like DIY folk etymology for this. Yeah, is it's like you know. A, a, Rooster or a cocktail showing off its tail feathers. You know what I mean? It's a bit fancy, right? Yeah, and like there's that there's a uh, American story that's like obviously not true. It's practically like a, a mythic, you know, like yeah. of like during the revolution, like a, what was it? Like a girl steals. A- so a, a, a American woman stole a chicken or a rooster from like British soldiers and then had them over and made a drink and used the, the tails of the cock yeah. to garnish their drinks it's to kind of like one up. And then of course the whole country heard about that. And they were like, legend. So that's like the least plausible. Let's work our way up. Yeah. Okay, so the next one up is related to the cock's tail. Indeed. 
Um, we Which the is the plural of cocktail. It's like a, it's like a courts martial. <laughs> We're going out for cocktail. <laughs> Goodness gracious me. Um, it's the fact that they used to dock the tail of horses for particular reasons, mm-hmm. probably horse care reasons, that I'm not across 19th century horse care. Okay. Um, so anyway. It's for then, another time. <laughs> and what does docking the horse tail mean? It means uh, cutting. You cut it off. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you cut off the tail and then the end of the tail stands up. Uh, it stands up much in the way as a cocktail. How does that relate to drinks, you might ask? Because they taste like shit. <laughs> it tastes like horse shit. Um, it's because those hawks were... Those hawks. Those hawks. <laughs> those horses were of mixed breeding. They were not thoroughbreds. They were not proper horses. They were mixed and I guess messy. Oh, my God. I okay, guess. So this is, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting this in the same category as the girl stealing the chicken story. Yeah. Like I, okay. So that one was at least that Cock's tail was used to refer to the horse thing. So at least that's got like one line of plausibility. Yeah. The next one is what I like to call the egg cup hypothesis. Okay. What? <laughs> so, yeah, all right. Uh, in the late uh, 18th century in New Orleans, supposedly, uh, there's an apo- apothecary uh, run by a guy named Pechaud. I don't know how to say French words. P-E-Y-C-H-A-U-D. Pechaud? Thank I you. think it'd be more like an odd sound. Yeah, at the okay. end of yeah anyway, he actually invented <laughs> a particular kind of bitters that is used in the Sazerac, still to the same New, New mm. Orleans. Um, so supposedly the story goes he had an apothecary and he had Mason buddies over for some Masonic gathers at his pharmacy. <laughs> 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 Masonic gathers. Right. And uh, he would mix them up some brandy hot toddies. Yeah. Uh, and em- he would emphasis. serve them in an egg cup. And uh, this feels like it still hasn't reached the point. It no. feels like a really bad joke that I'm leaving. Uh, <laughs> no punchline. Here it comes. No punchline. Um, <laughs> in French, go. he was a French speaker. Egg cup me is um, cocketeer or said in English you know, over this bar, cocktail. Right. See, the thing is, again, it can't possibly come from anything like this because because it's like the one story and then what? It, like the whole world ends up hearing that rumour, you know? Yeah, also uh, his apothecary didn't open in time for this story to be true. So it's definitely wrong. Nice. So moral anyway, of the here's story. my story. <laughs> moral of the story, we have no idea. The punchline is no idea. it's dumb. But we just know that people were making them in this time and they were making them through the 19th century. The, one of the earliest cocktail books was... Um, published in the 1850s and started that kind of system thinking that you were talking about. With mm, the, the, the families. Not fizzes and stuff, but similar things mm. with like, oh, you want this ratio sour to better. Subcategories, yeah, nice. Mm. Um, you know, the, one of the earliest references to a cocktail um, written down that we know of was in 1806 in the US and it's just such a good quote, so I've got to read it. So it's a cocktail then is a stimulating liquor composed of spirits of any kind, sugar, water and bitters. It is vulgarly called a bittered sling. And... <laughs> And it's supposed to be an excellent electioneering potion in as much as it renders the heart stout and bold at the same time as it fuddles the head. Um, first of all, awesome. Uh, second of all, I don't like the adverb vulgarly. I don't, <laughs> to me, it sounds like exactly what it's trying to say. It's gross, vulgarly. Yeah. And I, I think that what's really interesting, so you're so saying like, so when was the first book of cocktails produced? It was in the 1850s. So in the 1850s. So I used the term mixologist earlier to sort of refer to the kind of the snooty bartender who a mixologist is someone who specializes in the art of cocktail making. Right. Um, And a bartender is somebody who serves drinks at a bar. Right. I think a mixologist, if they know what they're doing, they probably deserve that snoot. No, and they do. um, 
and but it is an old word. So I I heard that and I was like, oh, this is just something that people who you know going through their prohibition like revival stage yeah. are like going like I'm a mixologist. There's a like mustache her. involved yeah, with this conversation. Yeah, definitely. But there probably was because the first instance of using the term mixologist was in 1872. So there was probably some massive mustaches around oh, that time. I would love to see that. Yeah, and so it's just- Smelly, big mustaches. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ugh. Cool. Um, <laughs> my God. Um, and so there is now kind of like a definition of a mixologist that I think deserves the kind of snooty title of someone who is an expert in this thing because mm. they innovate. They're yeah. the ones, and, and they also, they innovate, but they also preserve and conserve cl- classic drink beverages as well. So they are, they will innovate on an old fashioned, but they will also- Understand how to make an old fashioned. It's a but that's the thing. You like you. You almost certainly can't innovate in any way without understanding like the history and the 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 base makeup of of a cocktail framework. And this is the thing. This is what I love about people like this. Is that I I love to make this drink in particular, but I I love to learn about making cocktails. I, I also love to cook at home. But in no way am I able to kind of break new ground. I feel really cautious about trying to adapt things that I've been doing because I don't have the experience or the knowledge that some of these people do. So it's like, I'm always amazed like watching documentaries on on chefs or um, yeah. on like the mixologist that you're talking about because there's just an incredible kind of brain that, that is able to kind of look at this thing that exists and goes, you know what? What about fucking egg white? You know, like what about throwing something insane into this? Like what can I do to change this? Yeah, absolutely. And they do it and they crush it. You know, it's amazing. And they do crush it. And I think I think what's really great also when you, especially the, the kind of mixologists that are, that are innovating as well, is they actually do encourage people to make their own um, and try it at home because mm. they understand the principles of like, it doesn't, and, and they, they constantly stress. And like, I listen to a few podcasts of people interviewing people who are mixologists or like the top of the game, particularly in like New York and stuff. Where, which is like still the home of of cocktails, mm-hmm. and they they constantly talk about like it's not the alcohol that makes the beverage taste good; it's the way that you make it, and it's everything else that goes into it that makes it taste good. The al- you could remove the alcohol and still make a really nice drink, like a mocktail. Mm-hmm. And if you do it's it, the chemistry it's it. the chemistry of it, and mm-hmm. it's the blending, and it's the it's the it's the thought process, it's the ritual. And can I say as well that it's not just the food as well; it's the vibe. Of a cocktail, which almost the defines vibe, it. dude. Because we were talking about the glasses that we're drinking these oh, old yeah. fashions out of, mm. and they're these um cute little tumblers with the sort of uh, pineapple-y kind of yeah, pineapple-y festive thing. And I absolutely adore them because it doesn't have to be liquor. I have put ice, a lemon, and cold water into this, and it has felt like such a fancy afternoon. Did you call that a Todd? <laughs> <laughs> the cold Todd. The cold Todd. Um, and so that like the vibe of cocktails is something that's evolved over time. Like obviously when we talk about that 19th century quote I just read, that doesn't really sound like cocktail culture as we know it. Mm. And this sort of fancy and sort of foodie-esque culture of making cocktails, that's very classy. There's sort of an irony in the fact that that came from the prohibition, which was not at all that. Mm. You know, it was covering up bad spirits. Vulgarly. <laughs> Vulgarly spiriting in the yeah. streets. And from that, with a nostalgia towards that, we have this idea of what's cocktails? I'm going to go out for cocktails, i.e. I'm going to go to a speakeasy. Uh, you know, I'm going to go to a place with dim lights and Let have a fancy I'm going to be an absentee father and go <laughs> to a dirty hole in the wall this and drink old booze. No, I was thinking, you know, it's, it's almost like our recreations of these things are always with, with this like rose-tinted 
uh, mm. glasses, you know. So you're doing the modern posh version of a throwback to a throwback. Yeah. But the original thing being that vulgar thing, it's almost like, you know, when we think about a jazz band or something now, we think about nice, polite background music with people in, in kind of yes. suits and stuff like that being really tidy, but like the origins of jazz being this fucking adventurous, raucous, mm. fun thing that would have absolutely lit a fire under people who have never heard anything like that before. Yeah, had you more know. clarinets than you would expect. Yeah, more, more and somehow hot. <laughs> the, yeah, they called it the Todd. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep making the Todd joke throughout the entire episode. Um, I remember Todd really good at the clarinet. Um, but yeah, that, that same kind of thing, that the origins of this thing, which is, again, to us, you know, in our contemporary context, really sort of fancy and interesting, mm, yeah. started with something adventurous and bold and rough, which mm. is awesome. And this is why I like home cocktails, but I kind of, you know, to be honest, I don't really like a lot of the cocktail culture of bars and stuff. Mm. And that's because even though like I'm watching these people and they're so brilliant making these things and it's such an artisan, beautiful thing, there's a certain sort of, I guess, high class kind of exclusivity to it. You know, it's Is always- this like your and my kind of socialist uh, tendencies <laughs> coming into this, that it's just but like- a little expensive. bit. I mean, and also in different times. <laughs> a, a little bit, but- you know, at different times it would be like, oh, I kind of can't do that, you know? Because they're expensive. And We're talking $15, $20 for a cocktail for at a bar. single drink, yeah. When it's you think so about how it. simple <laughs> they are to yeah, make. I mean, it is worth it if you're getting made by someone who's, yeah. who's... But like, you know, I've been served an old-fashioned at a place that was like actual garbage. It was like drinking yeah. straight bitters. It was like, <laughs> what, what, what could possibly have happened to make this easy thing this bad? And it's the same, at, you know, like a lot of uh, high food as well, like high um, Meccano mm. stuff. You know, there's sort of a point where... Um, it actually stops being appealing to me. And like, that might be a bit of my own prejudice, might be a bit of theirs. Um, I don't really know, but right. like, but I think the, the the home's like spirit, if we if we may the say. The spirit of, of cocktail home making, cocktail, yeah. It's sort of in like home cocktails with the stuff we've been talking about in their creativity and and, and learning. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm certain that most mixologists would agree with that sentiment mm, as well. Absolutely, because they experiment as much as, so like there's one mixologist that, infuses a whole bunch of liquor and like that and he explained how you do it and I was like that sounds super easy we could absolutely do that so we're going to try and make a chili tequila I want to try and make a lapsang souchong um gin like a tea gin like a tea gin a lapsang souchong is that like a smoky, smoky tea? tea yeah right okay um, <laughs> and you know and and the same with like you know we talk about uh, what's it called oh, I've forgotten the term for it the the thingy sugar syrups mm. All right, yeah, like simple syrup. Simple syrup, that's yeah. the term. And like making rosemary simple syrup, lavender yeah. simple syrup, all of these things, there's so much experimentation that goes with it. But you don't have to start in that space. You can start with an old fashioned mm. and you can start with a martini and you can start with a margarita and just build it up slowly over time and figure out what you like. But then once you've got, you know, your bourbon, like the starter kit that everyone says, which is like gin, bourbon whiskey, scotch whiskey, tequila and dark rum, and you've got, a concept of how to make syrups, you're off to the races. You just mm. need some lemon and lime juice and you're golden. I think you really touched on something awesome there, which was learn what you like. Mm. Because I think that's the the adventure for the individual with the cocktail, or at least it has been make for me, adventure. is rather than kind of exploring and trying to innovate with like, how do I take the next step with the old fashioned? It's like making an old fashioned, but learning the way that I enjoy making it. For example, I prefer one dash less bitters than most recipes for the cocktail mm. call for. You know, I, I just prefer just a little bit less of that kind of edge of the bitters in there. And for me, that balance is really smooth. As you can probably taste now, it's smooth. It's on the yeah. sweeter side, but it still balances and takes away from the bourbon, some of those bourbon-esque flavors that I'm not a particular fan of. But the adventure of the cocktail has been finding what I like 
Mm. And I think I think it's just beautiful to be able to have that experience at home. Um, try it. Yeah, try Get it. Out there. I mean, it's like we made a gin martini the other night, and we made it so there's there's variations of a dry to wet martini, um, and that depends on the ratio of gin to the vermouth. Move. And we made it sort of somewhere in the middle, and we decided we like our martini slightly wetter than most. Mm. And that's fine because I'm because most people it. smell the vermouth and are like, Ugh, and I'm just like, hmm, I might actually drink that. <laughs> so, do you feel Am the I same insane? way? Can I ask you, Lauren? Can I can I ask you how you feel about chartreuse and fuel, um, <laughs> unleaded fuel? How do you feel about that? Uh, bad. bad. No, I mean like don't don't say what you think people will think better of you for. <laughs> do you enjoy the smell of unleaded fuel? Yes. There is a niceness about there we go. it. Is there, there, there is. There is. <laughs> I was smelling this mic earlier. Don't forget. I absolutely agree. Uh, but uh, not on vermouth, I'm afraid. Yeah. Also, just to call myself out, um, recently learned consciously, knew it unconsciously, recently learned consciously, that a standard drink is the same amount of alcohol in each standard drink depending on the alcohol. So yeah. a standard beer with like the volume of beer that's a standard drink mm-hmm. has the same amount of alcohol as a standard pour of whiskey. I mean, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. I know. But I was saying. It sounds, sounds a lot like. <laughs> yes. Yes, one Jim. equals one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thought this was a safe space. No, 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 no. It's nothing safe about it. I'm no, going no, to you're mock you yeah, in you front know, of people. I should have known. I really, I should have known better. But um, I learned this because I was looking. I got sidetracked as one does, looking into cocktails, um, into drinking myths. Okay. And, and all and sort of things oh, like you that. You mean like drinking light liquor and dark? Yeah, liquor yeah, yeah. And so like you violence. know, what's it? It's like light, light before or like whiskey before beer. You're in the clear. Beer than whiskey. Beer than, beer than grass, you're on your ass. So, yeah, and like one tequila, <laughs> two tequila, three tequila floor is yeah. like, you know, all of those things. And actually there's there's a whole bunch of like myths that we have in association uh, with alcohol. And I actually spent the science corner time. I did some research. <laughs> on the science corner. On the science corner. Uh, I think I think for, before we even dig into the science of it, yes. I, think it's, I think it's important yes. uh, to, to say out loud to everyone that just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's right. Thank you, Jim. That's thank you. It's thank very you, Jim. insightful. A PSA. So you've got, okay, so I'm just going to run through a couple of myths and I want you to tell me if you think that it's true or if it's false. So having food before drinking stops you from getting too drunk. Yeah, definitely. Because it like <laughs> Definitely. Helps, yeah, Look at that. Coming out swinging. <laughs> the confidence Not with a confident tone, but with I'm going to say, I'm going to say probably, yeah. I mean, full stomach. Okay. So you're both wrong. Love that. Fuck How yeah, could we be wrong? Now? So what happens is- <laughs> Um, so eating food simply slows the absorption. It doesn't actually reduce the amount of alcohol in your system that's going to be absorbed. It just slows it down. So you, if you drink, you know, a certain amount of alcohol, even on a full stomach, it will eventually get into your bloodstream and you will get drunk. But just not fucked up straight away. Not fucked up straight well, away. I mean, that's really, oh, okay. That wasn't the question. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just like, well, that's we just got the same thing. <laughs> that's the same thing. Okay. The other one, mixing alcohol makes you more drunk. See, I feel trapped now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like no matter Obviously, which way I go. I want to say. What do you think, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say yes, but also like it depends on the combination, doesn't it? Or does it not? Here, I'm gonna <laughs> don't ask, don't answer with a question. I'm asking questions here. The, what I'm what I'm gonna say is a question. No, it's <laughs> like surely the context is relevant. That if you are mixing spirits, it's in the context of you kind of being a bit raucous and cutting sick. So there's a hidden variable okay, there. Okay, so yeah. uh, let me phrase this question in another way. The the uh, never mix uh, the grape and the grain. Do you think that that's got something to do- Just because it's alliterative doesn't no. mean it's true. <laughs> doesn't mean it's true. Is it but true though? Do you think that mixing the grape and the grain 
like, so mixing wine and whiskey. Or wine and beer. Or, or wine and beer. Is that going to make you more drunk versus wine and tequila or wine and something else? No. Do you think that? Okay, because the thing that makes you drunk is the alcohol content, right? Yeah. So the reason why you probably end up getting more drunk when you start with wine and end with whiskey is because whiskey's got higher alcohol content in it. So you're actually drinking the higher alcohol per volume at the end when you're mm. already fucking pissed. But I suppose you could say as well that you drink the whiskey slower. Do you? Than the wine. But if you've had all that wine, maybe you don't. Maybe you hit <laughs> the whiskey also, and it's just like, let's Samuel, go. <laughs> Samuel, have you met me? I can't drink whiskey slowly, unfortunately. She can't. A, so the issue, the, the issue is more actually to do with what else is in the beverage. Okay. So um, they've actually done some studies that say that the factors that play into how drunk you get is the consumption method. So whether you're mixing it or having it on the rocks or having it neat. Or uh, an enema, yep. We're just going to drop that. Um, and how quickly you drink it, mm-hmm. right? So if you're slinging back tequila shots, it's going to make you feel drunker faster, but you would still get the same amount of drunk if you slowly drank the equivalent amount of whiskey to create that much alcohol per volume. That right. makes sense. So if I did, for example, uh, three or four standard drinks worth of tequila across one hour yeah, or drank one big giant cocktail with four whiskeys in it yeah. uh, across that same period of time. You'd probably get the same amount of drunk. Yeah, but, but I mean like not the same rate. Though, I also right? wouldn't, I'd be doing that alone. I feel like <laughs> the, the big whiskey thing is like a lonely drink. Doing shots is for, it's for the boys. But the other <laughs> thing that they found was one of the biggest factors in how drunk you feel, because also that that alcohol, how you perceive how drunk you are, because mm-hmm. we know heaps of people that can drink heaps of alcohol but be quite lucid, Yeah, um, is expectation and social environment. So if you're going out for a night on the town with your heavily drinking mates who like to get fucked up, mm. you're going to feel more pissed than if you go out with the friends who just want to have a couple of beers and then go home. So... If you're out drinking silly cocktails and having a fun time, maybe the vibe of the cocktail thing might actually lead you to believe that you're drinking more than you are. Yes. Or more rather that you're celebrating the level of inebriation that you've had. Yeah. So it's like, you you know, you're at home and um, in front of the kids. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's like if you're at home and you kind of like reach that certain number of drinks and you have a certain level of inebriation, it's not like you're there going like, yeah, I'm here to get fucked up. You know, you might hit that same stage out in, you know, on the town and go like, yeah, yeah, I feel like dancing now because dancing is an option. You know, like I'm not dancing at home. I'm not dancing when I'm out. I don't go out. (laughs) That's the... The moral of the story. (laughs) But the other thing is caffeinated beverages, so your vodka Red Bull, which I actually think is the most disgusting beverage you can ever have, (laughs) mask the effects of intoxication. So vodka Red Bulls, in my opinion, are probably the worst thing you could drink because you don't feel the drunk because of the caffeine. I used to work at a a, a metal club when I was about 18. I'm sorry. Um, It was a great time. Um, It's in hindsight. Um, (laughs) But they used to do a drink there. Uh, called instead of the the Jaeger bomb, which of course is a shot of Jaeger dropped into a Red Bull and then drunk at once, they did something called the Phoenix bomb, uh, which was a shot of, I think it was tequila or some other. Uh, so, oh no, no, actually it was it was uh, absinthe. Oh dear, oh a shot of absinthe into a vodka Red Bull, uh, and then drunk all at once. Oh goodness me! And the the issue with that is that I uh, cleaned up. All the vomit uh, as a result of that <laughs> Yeah, um, I never got to experience it myself. Okay, and so my final question is, coffee helps you feel better when you're hungover slash eating a greasy meal makes you makes you get over your hangover faster. 
So like sort of hangover cures, do they work? Okay, this relates to a different question of mine because it's more just like... Are you answering with the question? No, 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 I am because (laughs) if you're experiencing a placebo and are aware of it and embrace the placebo, does it still count? Well, if you know it's a placebo, it's not a placebo but anymore, it's, isn't it? It's kind of the nature still work of it. Even if you know it's a placebo. Really? Yeah. So it's just self bullshit. <laughs> Amazing. So the answer is um, your body metabolizes mine, mine alcohol, your body metabolizes <laughs> alcohol in a set amount of time. Right. You cannot speed it up, you cannot slow it down. You will, you will metabolize one unit of alcohol per hour. But can I adapt my perception of my recovery. Yeah, so coffee is just masking that. Yeah. It just makes you feel slightly more alert. But the mm-hmm. thing that's really interesting is not whether or not you can cure your hangover from what I found, but what causes your hangover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everyone talks about the like, you know, tequila hangover, cocktail hangover, for example. The rum and coke hangover. I think for me, like neat, neat whiskey hangover is very different to say a wine hangover or something for yeah. me. Or so, is it? So the key thing that's really interesting playing out, so we're talking like the rum and coke hangover is going to be way, way worse. And I think, I'm not sure if we've all experienced the rum and coke hangover. Oh boy, have we. Yeah, so really, really bad versus like a um, red wine hangover, for instance, okay. right? Like the the, red, the rum and coke one's going to feel pretty rough. And that's to do with the coke. Yeah, the sugar. Right, so it's to and do with sugar. And rum is sugar also. And rum is sugar. Yeah, so I'm going to stop us there for just a minute because as an aside, um, I just want to let you guys know, I'm recording this now sometime after recording the episode and having listened back to the audio, uh, we're about to make a big stupid mistake uh, and mispronounce a particular word and you'll know what it is. Uh, And we we do it dozens of times. We have all the information in front of us necessary to pronounce it correctly and and we don't. Uh, We could blame the cocktails, but I, I honestly think it's just us. So back to it, enjoy it and laugh at us. And not with us. Bye. But what it actually is they found is this thing called conjugas. So this is where the science shit comes in. Conjugas? So conjugas are... Can you spell hem- that, please? C-O-N-G-E-N-E-R-S. Conjugas. conjugas. I can't think of any other way to pronounce that, so... Yeah, hi, me again. Um, in the future, which is your past. Uh, it's actually congeners, by the way. That's how it's pronounced. Back to the episode. So it is a, it's chemical impurities that are developed by the byproducts of fermentation and distillation. It contributes to the taste, aroma, and color of the drink. And it right. varies in the amounts and types, because there's various conjugates that you can get, depending on the alcoholic beverage. The darker the drink, the higher the concentration of conjugates, but also the cheaper the drink, the higher the concentration of conjugates, because they're less purified. So this is where it's like people who say like drinking top shelf liquor doesn't result in a hangover might actually be onto something. But again, there's there's also that other factor of you're going to drink less of that because you don't want to drink all well, of your top I mean, shelf liquor at once. It really depends on who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very probably good a good idea. That's probably a good time to remind everyone to drink responsibly. Drink responsibly, everybody. So they don't know exactly. So basically what they found is that if you have a low conjugate alcohol, particularly if you're just drinking, say, vodka or tequila neat, you're mm. not mixing anything with it, so you're not having the sugar from the mixes, your hangover is actually going to be like less impactful on your body than if you were drinking rum. So my awful headache, red wine hangovers are more related to the cheap ass wine that I buy than- Probably. Wow. But the other thing is they, they, they sort of were like, why, why does it work out that way? What is it about the conjugates? So they are saying that one of the things is the conjugates have to be broken down in your body. So it's actually re- diverting resources from the ethanol 
breakdown. Right. And so it's actually making your hangover feel longer and feel kind of worse. So you haven't processed as much alcohol. Mm. The other thing is they found that it stimulates stress hormones in your body. It's like oxytocin. and So it's, it's like when you wake up and you're like, don't fucking talk to yeah, me. Yeah, and epinephrine and stuff. So it can cause, and it also can cause inflammatory responses. Yes. So it can cause, for me, if I drink too much because I have a, a rheumatoid condition, I actually have like inflammation in my joints. Flare-ups. Flare-ups. There you go. And that's probably because what am I usually drinking? Whiskey. Because you know how to live. Because that's living. Because that's bloody how we do in this house. Mm. So I think that's really interesting when you think about, then if you go back to thinking about cocktails, there are actually more gin and vodka, tequila cocktails than there probably are like rum, bourbon, whiskey cocktails. And when they are rum, bourbon and whiskey, they, they tend to be simpler? They tend to be simpler. So right. they tend to be fewer without ingredients. fewer ingredients. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that like, to be honest, when you're talking about cocktails, you're either dealing with the conjugates from the from the uh, like darker alcohols or you're dealing with the sugar and the ginger ale and the other things you're adding to the other cocktails to make them taste kind of different because- all, all this, I mean, this is fascinating. I think the biggest takeaway for me from that is that when I wake up with a hangover, I'm going to shake my fist and yell the word conjugate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to have an enemy. Do you Damn know what I mean? Conjugate. <laughs> it definitely makes it easier. Fooled again. <laughs> but I just, I just found that so fascinating that like all of those, like the, the other thing was like drinking a fizzy drink makes you drunker faster. Not true. Not true. Also, just a PSA, your hangover will be better if you just drink the fucking no, the full sugar mixes rather than the zero light or no sugar mixes. You're saying that with oh. like definitive confidence. They now. did several studies. Ah, they. they. Had, I see. They. <laughs> the science people. <laughs> the science. You're in the pocket of big fizz. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Do we have any details on like one of the, one of my fascinations with with cocktails is is looking at different eras. Like we talked about, you know, the the contemporary kind of look at cocktail now is that throwback to a throwback to a throwback. You know, your speakeasy vibes, mustaches, the whole thing. Um, what are like your eighties and nineties cocktails? Because that's Cosmo. Yeah, well, but also your big fruity kind of everything's a bit over the top. You know, I, I think about that and go like, you know, the, the the redesign of these things are always so reflective of the time and the nature of, of everything. Um, and that comes back to that personal thing that I was talking about before where, you know, you as an individual, your journey with learning to make a cocktail or experience a cocktail is reflective of your individuality because you are finding what you like, mm. you know, not what's right, yes. but what you like. Because there isn't a right cocktail. Yeah, exactly. That, that the journey. right cocktail is the one that you love and particularly the one you make yourself. Yeah, that, that journey of cocktails from this sort of like really classic, like well, literally what we're calling the old fashioned um, towards like fruity sort of crazy stuff. It's pretty wild because I really doubt that people in the 1850s like swigging up a bourbon drink would have imagined like, I don't know, the dry dock, which is a gin fizz made with cardamom bitters, lavender scented simple syrup <laughs> and grapefruit, <laughs> which actually I'm really curious about that one actually. Um, but you know, like that—that's a crazy transformation mm. over a relatively short period of time. Yeah. yeah, and I think something that might be at play with like those '80s and '90s kind of crazy fancy boys, fancy boys, mm. is a potential like gender shift in who is having cocktails that's as a really well. Good point. Yeah. Um, and like one cannot uh, underestimate the impact that Sex in the City had on the Cosmo, mm. um, and the fact that it became like this fruity. And also, like we now have dealing with this, where it's like people and I say people, I mean men, don't drink cocktails. 
because it's because the it's girly feminized. drink. It's a fruity drink, even though most of the time they're drinking light beer and cocktails have way more alcohol in them and are way stronger. Mm. They're just like, but it's pink, so no. Interesting. And I think, so I think that what is at play there is potentially a transition, particularly when was the regatta protest? Uh, the 1960s. Like yeah, so you've got also bars opening up to women. And this is in, in Australia, Australia in particular. This is in Australia in particular. I'm not entirely sure when that happened in the US, but there's obviously the waves are sort of very it similarly It boggles aligned. my mind to think that that was the 1960s. 1960s. Here in Australia. I do, like, honestly, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but, mm. you know, the, there was a, a moment in time where women chained themselves to the bar chained here in, in, in Brisbane at a, a venue called the Regatta, which is still around. Yeah, we yeah. went there. Um, it's our local pub, actually. Yeah. Basically, with the message, uh, serve me, you fuck. Um, and they did. Yeah. Which I love. The bartenders were like, well, they're paying. Well, she's yeah. there. She's, she's there. Not she's not so they got, to well. have a, they got to have a beer while they were chained to the bar. Yeah. And, you know, like, even though I don't have much love for this, for this pub, um, Sam and I still go there because I just get this great joy because we go in there as husband and wife and sit down, a man and a woman, and enjoy a beer together. Yeah. Um, yeah, because like there were ladies' gardens. So like for context, there were the public bar which we're talking about was for men, and then there were ladies' gardens where they could drink cocktails, usually mm. shandies, other things. They weren't getting beer in those places. They were getting like mixed beverages and they wanted to just drink with the boys. Like they yeah. just wanted to go into the pu the pub and not be relegated to this other space. Again, like growing up in a contemporary space, like I keep saying that word, but it's just, uh, what I mean is now. Uh, just <laughs> being present. an adult in this moment, um, <laughs> ostensibly, is that like, it, it absolutely boggles my mind that that's the case. Mm. Like I, I can't think of feeling justified and it's like, see you later, sweetie, uh, you go out the back. You know, I'll, I'm, I'll, gonna go I'm gonna go in to have a beer with the boys. You know, it's like, mm. yeah, of course you can do that, <laughs> but the idea that it's just like we drew a line at the front door mm. and absolutely no vaginas in this place whatsoever. <laughs> and so I think that this, the 80s and 90s in particular probably was like the interesting gender transition between cocktails being these old fashions, manly sort of concoctions for men. To something, to something considered feminine. Considered feminine mm, and even mm. now considered, and like obviously, I mean, you spoke about the Long Island iced tea. I don't even know what that is. It's like a bunch of different, uh, it, it's like six different types of, of liquor, I think. That's what it is. Um, and it's a mistake if it's made badly. But like, I mean, of course, like any other cocktail made well, it's delicious because they're only using small portions of each one. And each one of the liquors is um, uh, a different flavor profile and it blends together. Is it a layered cocktail? Uh, I, I think so. So that means they like, try and keep know. the alcohol slightly separated? Right, I, I don't to know. To serve it? Okay. Um, ask Twitter. I will ask Twitter yeah. later. Um, so yeah, I think the Long Island Ice Tea, the Cosmo, um, what are other ones? Sex on the Beach. Yeah. Fruit Tingle, which is one of the, the favorites of the Red Room. Fruit Tingle. <laughs> the Red Room bar? A local yeah, uni bar. A local uni bar. Um, <laughs> does, does our brother love... He does love a fruit tea. But like, because they're objectively delicious. And a long iced tea, actually. Yeah. They're, they're delicious because they're sugar. Yeah. So they're nothing like this, where it's like still got an alcoholic sort yeah. of, like alcoholic, but it's still got an alcohol tone. It's but if, I find it interesting that somebody, like I would see somebody liking a fruit tingle and confidently, like a dude confidently liking a fruit tingle as like a sign of, of 
being comfortable with their masculinity as mm. though it's any question at all in the first place, you know? Yeah. As if the drink was ever a factor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, in oh their God. gender identity. Yeah. That, that's, that's some toxic shit. That's some mm. stuff that I need to dispose of. But it's, it's <laughs> yeah. so deeply rooted that, I, you know, I can't help but think it. And that's why, you know, like a lot of this um, dichotomy between cocktails is kind of illusory because, you know, we've got an old fashioned, which is beautiful and classic and very masculine. And then, I you know, a cocktail yeah. that I'd like, I want us to make later is um, something involving tequila and oregano and, and chili and something really bright and aggressive. Mm. And yes, it, we have not tested it. We haven't tested it. We're going to test bit. it on ourselves yeah. today. Yes. It was like the, um, the Thai basil chili cocktail that I made when we were over at your place, which yes. I can't remember what you called it. I definitely named it the Chiang Mai Thai. You did. Uh. Um, and it was, <laughs> I, I definitely could work on the proportions, but it was like, I'd never made it before and it worked. Yeah, and it was fucking sick. It was I really, really enjoyed it. spicy. Should we take a, a brief break to make that cocktail yes. right now? Let's do Great it. idea. Yes. Okay. Alrighty, welcome back. Um, we've got our beverages in front of us, um, and I, I just, um, I put my nose to it, and uh, I'm concerned, <laughs> mildly concerned. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for listening and thank you once again to you two for going so deeply into such an exciting topic. I, I had a lot of fun today and it's not just the uh, cocktail talking. Um, cheers. Cheers, thanks. So what do we have here? Before we disappear, before I sign off, um, we ought to give this drink a name before we we drink it. So what what is in this, Samantha? Uh, so this is uh, two parts tequila to one part lime juice with a sugar cube, a habanero chili and ah, some oregano. And some fresh oregano as a garnish. As a garnish for fanciness. Well, I mean, it's okay, it's got so many different countries in it and so many different nationalities. I want to call this the Pangea Fix. That sounds fabulous. Pangea Fix. All right, cheers. Let's try cheers, it. Cheers, cheers. <clears throat> okay. Oh, my God, that's fucking amazing. That's oh. actually really good. Shit. And here comes oh, the heat, though. Oh, there's though. the fire. Oh, oh, yeah, because the seed did escape. I tried to deceive. No, I failed. have the seed in my glass. Yeah, but <laughs> it was in the cocktail shaker, you oh, see. Dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Absolutely <laughs> oh, delicious. So yummy. Everybody should try making that at home, especially if you're a bit of a hothead. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys have taken something away from today. I know I definitely have. Um, and I can't wait to sort of take more of a cocktail adventure at home and feel a little bit more confident in doing that to find... <laughs> what I like. And remember that when you're making your cocktails at home, find what you like the best and that'll be the best cocktail for you. Yay. Thanks, everybody. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you soon.